0: Hello and welcome to Lace and Cupcakes, a podcast for Lolitas by a Lolita. I'm your host, Grace. So today we have with us Grammar. Grammer, uh, and I think this is going to be a very special episode. But first off, what got you into Lolita fashion
1: and how long have you been wearing it? Oh, goodness. I'm uh, well, how they call it uh, old, because <laughs> I've been wearing... Lolita, since it's been almost more than a decade now, 2009. And I liked it before then, but that was the first time I really had disposable income with a job in college and sort of the time and the freedom to wear it. But um, Mm -hmm. I think, like a lot of probably other people who were into alternative fashion around that time, like I read magazines that I could get my hands on. Um, Fruits, I think, I'm not sure if they had gone under by that point, but I know that there were Fruits magazines that I'd run across before. And I saw a lot of pictures on Tumblr. My first Dream Dress, actually, I saw a picture of a lyrical bunny in purple. And I went, oh, that's really pretty. I'd like to own that one day. And then kind uh-huh. of went from there <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I it for a while. It's since gone on to another owner, but that will always hold sort of a special place in my heart.
0: That's awesome
1: so for listeners who
0: haven't heard of your book magic mutant nightmare girl would you please share a little bit about it
1: yeah sure um it's about a girl named holly who is a sweet lolita and (laughs) she's a bit like momoko in that she's very introverted but for her it has a lot more to do with anxiety and the fact that she's i would say very depressed over the recent death of her parents and she's living in san francisco nearby to her best friend they both moved straight out of high school and she's sort of living her life she's got this fantasy world built up around her that's just fashion nothing else i don't have to deal with grief i don't have to deal with drama i don't have to deal with my future until um advice from the best friend's grandmother one night who the grandmother is supposedly psychic but it uh Sends her on a different way home where she encounters these mutants and one explodes. And basically the next morning she is infected with super strength, wakes up, starts destroying everything she touches. And she um, runs across a very special, (laughs) very grumpy man who is hunting the mutant that escaped the fight last night. And she ends up helping him and sort of his group of, I would say, mad scientists because they're not exactly sure what they're working with. But her job is to help them find the mutant that escaped the fight, sort of before yeah, that, another agency does.
0: That scene where she's just accidentally destroying her apartment—I, oh, my heart went out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, um, she destroys. Holly goes through a lot of a uh, brand in this book. Really, I think um, the version that you read was the arc, and there have been some changes from that to the final. But I think one of the changes now is. Some point in time she goes, "Oh, I wish I had more tavau because this is very sad." <laughs> yeah,
0: that passage was definitely not in the uh the arc.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. It, there's a couple things that are different. Um but uh yeah, so, so it's mostly it's her aesthetic and the whole world, her armor that she's built up around her comes crashing down when she literally cannot control what she touches what happens to it or her emotions and basically also having to make friends to deal with this cuz that's the last thing that she wants.
0: Mhm. So what was the most difficult part in the process in creating Magic Mutant Nightmare Girl?
1: I think I don't know if your listeners cuz some people in the Lilith community might not be familiar But there is a movement in the book community called Own Voices, which is basically your main character in a book shares a trait in common with the author. And Holly has anxiety, and I do too. (laughs) And it was a sort of interesting challenge to convey that on the page that that's a lot of the reason why she makes poor decisions or she's very afraid or unsure in social interactions. And a lot of the time, she's very much in her own head. And I think a lot of the difficulty in writing this book was translating that to the page and making it unique to her because we're still very different, sort of very unique people onto ourselves. But I can sympathize a lot with some of the problems that she has interacting with the world around her, for, for sure. hmm Yeah, it sounds like it's, it's really hard to...
0: Pull out like something that's so tied into us that we don't necessarily feel is a good trait about ourselves, and to pers- like to create that in something else, you know? Yeah, so that's really
1: cool. And I would say it was definitely a rewarding challenge, but it's um, it's sort of an odd one too because I always try to sort of put it out everywhere. Like, we have stuff in common, but Holly's a bit of a dick, and I'm a nice person. <laughs> i hope people know that for future meetups like i don't bite she might i don't know that girl's (laughs) wild
0: (laughs) so what was your favorite part of writing uh the writing process through
1: this book oh gosh i drafted it pretty quickly the first draft it was um a couple years ago and i think every day it was just waking up because i sort of had a beginning and an end in mind and then there's books two and three of the trilogy which are outlined too But it was just sort of that idea of discovery every day of, oh, what am I going to make her do now? Or, oh, what complication gets in her way of, I just want to be quiet and live my life with my brand and please go away. Go away, all you people that are trying to work with me and learn about me and know me. I don't want to be seen. So it was sort of a everyday figure out what fits the plot, but also what could be the absolute worst thing that would happen to Holly in that moment because then that creates the most drama the most conflict and i think just the most interest as the plot is propelled forward Mm -hmm. and destroy more brands
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah (sighs) so speaking of all the brands she goes through that means lots of different outfits and i think cosplaying holly would be very easy with how detailed you get with with the co- different coordinates in the uh, book. How did you create those looks? And did you do
1: like test flat lays, like that kind of thing? Or I don't actually own any of the pieces. I'm trying to think. Like I can picture the outfits sort of in my head. I don't own anything specifically that she does. And actually my closet's a bit more colorful than hers. I've got everything in the rainbow where she's got a lot of pink and white and sacks and black. But I tried to keep it to a smaller color palette and really think specifically about, okay, Holly likes a lot of uh, sort of Hime-styled pieces. She likes a lot of solids. She likes textured fabrics, but she's not crazy about anything overly cutesy. Like she's not big on prints that would be just animals or any sort of thing that's cute or fuzzy. <laughs> she's a bit of a prickly person, but I think I had to kind of keep that in mind when I was picking outfits and also what would fit at the end of the book when there's the fairy tale tea party, what she would wear there. But um, I wanted to use Puppet mm-hmm. Circus since it's such an iconic piece. And uh, <laughs> I won't give any spoilers, but I think that's a very visible, um, you know, it's a very visible dress within the community. But I think it's also visible online so if anyone were to search something like angelic pretty dress with gold ballerinas it would come up quickly and then it's mm-hmm. tied into a lot of the history of the fashion too so I tried to be mindful in picking specific pieces for coordinates that could be easily googled so people who aren't familiar with with the fashion could get basically an idea of what it looks like and
0: speaking of people who aren't like really into the fashion who might be reading it, do you think the regular brand name drops might push those people away or make Holly sound more superficial?
1: I mean, I think that's probably important to keep in mind when reading that Holly is very superficial. That's kind of how she has constructed her entire reality is she keeps things in boxes. There's Brand and there's Taboo, and there's Friends, which for her is just Chiho. And then there's everybody else. And I think specifically there's the allure when you're new and getting into Lolita, like, especially if you have the funds to do it, that, oh, there's all these brands and I can get, you know, this piece that's iconic or this piece that I saw my favorite Lolita on Instagram wear or that kind of thing attached to it. And I hope too that for people who aren't familiar with the fashion, um, like angelic, pretty, or baby, of the stars shine bright, or innocent world, might be more readily Googleable, and there's more history mm-hmm. sort of attached to it. Versus, I just or body line as an introduction to the fashion. There's more controversy, I think. If you were just to search them as a layman online, and you might not know exactly sort of the history of why that is, and then there's more replicas. So I think it's probably an easy introduction, especially cause there's lots of history attached to it. Even if you just look at the Lolita fashion page on Wikipedia, you can look at it. And it's
0: also, it's also easier to find people wearing that print as well, not just like finding the original like photos of the dresses for sale type of thing.
1: Right, I think that was important to me too. But um, yeah, it's funny. I guess it sort of does serve a dual purpose that um, Holly will look superficial to other Lolitas. And there are Lolitas in the book that even comment on that. And I think that's fine because that's the world that, you know, she's built for herself. So they're not wrong, but <laughs> people yeah. that don't know much about the fashion will be able to see it sort of come to life for them in ways that they can research the most about it and probably find the best quality pieces initially if they just think oh that's really cute i would like something like that for my wardrobe even if it's not necessarily lolita it's an easy introduction without a lot of time and research
0: Mm -hmm. more more useful for an outsider to find it than say just like a straight up description without any
1: reference to a brand. Right. Exactly. Which I think Lolita's could totally get, you know, a reference to let's say if I made a sleeves joke about like the lucky pack that came with a million body line sleeves or something like that. You know, Jokes yeah. within the community that I think are more well-known, but other people wouldn't get that.
0: Mm-hmm. So, pivoting away from that a bit, with the success of zines such as Just Below the Knee and Dentel, there's obviously a market for Lolita-themed books. What advice do you have for fellow Lolita writers aspiring to break into the market? Oh gosh, I'd say that it was really hard.
1: (laughs) And I guess that's not to scare anyone away because I think the work that all the zines are doing is just absolutely incredible. I am in awe of the talent and the time and just the coordination that it takes to put all of that together, especially in a multimedia mm-hmm. format.
0: So a quick little intermission uh, for a potential trigger warning uh, where Aaron and I are talking about a third party podcaster who isn't on the call. Um, and honestly i'd love to interview this podcaster because their podcast sounds awesome but um that's neither here nor there i understand that it is very dangerous but it's very much potentially dangerous to potentially out somebody as the um as their true gender identity uh because some people are public about it on some platforms versus others um other times it's just rude to uh misgender somebody if they're especially if they're very open and public about how they identify, so yes, um it was wrong to assume, and actually at before the beginning of every podcast, I think it was maybe third or fourth interview that I did that I stopped actually like trying to sleuth up people's uh gender identity so I wouldn't accidentally misgender them and I actually before the beginning of every podcast I do ask how people prefer to be identified um so that way based on the context because that's specifically for the safety reason uh because some people might be um you know they might be more closeted uh, based on their gender identity within the EGL community because of other people they might know within the community or they might actually be open about their gender identity but you know, like all kinds of factors. So I just ask them before the podcast uh, these days. But um, And it's, so I definitely do try to strive to make a good solid concerted effort for um, being sure I don't accidentally misgender somebody, but it potentially might have happened within the next minute and one second. So please do feel free to skip ahead uh, if that is something that potentially may trigger you. And I am apologizing from the absolute bottom of my
1: heart for this mistake. But um, as far as other people that are creating um Jasmine Townsend actually has an excellent podcast I think she has illustrations for it too that is on her YouTube channel and um it's just like she's incredibly tenacious I really admire her too she has another great anthology I can't think of the name off the top of my head but if I do I'll definitely send it to you because she would be another great person to interview
0: but definitely yes i i know that there is another podcaster out there but i haven't had a chance to uh, like listen to it because it was only initially on youtube at first i don't know if they've switched to uh just the more general podcast platforms as well but it was like something about spilling the tea or something like that yeah and it would talk about the drama in the community i don't know if that's her i'm
1: not certain Perfect. i know um, that it's um, a fiction like it's a serial story that jasmine is doing and jasmine i apologize not positive Hello. we go by she or they so i apologize if i've gotten your pronouns incorrect
0: and this is a bit of a buffer on the back end regarding the trigger warning given about a minute beforehand so uh, yeah um if you're hearing this music you're all clear Woo!
1: But um, advice to Lolita writers is, I think a lot of the things that you put in a manuscript, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, need to be incredibly accessible to people who have no idea about the fashion. (laughs) And you also have to be prepared for all the Nabokov comments. And I think it's good to maybe hide that somewhere in Mm -hmm. your text to be like, not the same thing. (laughs) End of discussion don't entertain it, you know, just keep moving forward. But besides that, Mm -hmm. I think there's a real hunger and a real interest in more Lolita media in the community. You know, you see how people rally behind podcasts and, and books and YouTube creators and people just putting out all of this content and bloggers. And I think it's really incredible that there is this movement towards Maybe I wouldn't say making the fashion more mainstream, but creating more entertainment that surrounds it. And I really applaud anyone who undertakes that effort, because I think it's very difficult to sort of find a balance between making Lolita's happy with what you have in your media, making a broader audience happy so more people can discover things about the fashion, and also representing it in... I wouldn't even say positive or negative, but just a very balanced light for people that have no idea about it but might be interested one day. But really, mm-hmm. I'd say just keep going, you'll find the audience. It might take a while, but you will. Mm-hmm. So
0: um for listeners who want to know more about you and any projects you're currently working
1: on how can they find you online okay this is easy because i have pretty much one social media handle but it's at aaron grammar e-r-i-n-g-r-a-m-m-a-r pretty much on instagram twitter i don't have a tiktok but also it's just aaron if they want to learn more about the book there's um some art up there more of a synopsis some Ordering links. Oh, I think there's a playlist too. Yeah, so that's another fun thing. But literally, search my name Alrighty. on Twitter, Instagram, and I'm there. And I am pretty friendly. <laughs> I like talking to people, even if it makes me nervous sometimes. So, if anyone has questions about, this is something I just wanted to put out there really quick that there are trigger warnings in the book. They've been updated uh, since the advanced copy. And they might be updated if there is another print run. I'm not sure. I think we've got everything in there. But if anyone ever has questions about those or anything, you know, questions, concerns, you're always welcome to message me on social media.
0: Mm -hmm. And I I thought those uh, trigger warnings were really, like, uh, I don't want to say, like, um, ahead of its time, because the time is now. (laughs) But I thought. I felt
1: it was very forward thinking for the publishing industry. It is. And it was because I'm with a smaller house, they definitely take into account what authors want more. I believe another one of our authors has trigger warnings in their book. And I know I have a friend that's um, published through um, Simon and Schuster, who recently also has trigger warnings in the front of their book, which is great. So it's a trend that is, I think, or not, you can't call it a trend because it's a necessity you know what i mean it's really life saving mm-hmm. for people and for choosing what they want to read but the fact that it's happening more and more is great
0: mm-hmm. and uh what day is your book being released March 10th, again
1: so it is on wednesday i believe 2 weeks from now awesome and that's 2 weeks from the date
0: of the recording we're recording at on february 28th so Uh, It'll be a little bit after that that this gets released because I need to edit it, and I actually have another podcast I have to throw up. So. Oh yeah, I'm
1: so excited! It's been really, really wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you for agreeing to be on. I like I had seen your book being promoted under
1: a different name. I want to say like two years ago now, and uh, when adventure COVID. uh took out my first publisher and then it, that happened to quite a few people. So I found a home with another publisher that had taken on several people that got uh, orphaned <laughs> during that.
0: Yeah. I, it, it, yeah. When I was, when I decided I wanted to start doing interviews, like you were literally at the top of that list. And when I went to track you down, I couldn't find any t- trace of it on your oh, social yeah. media. We had to do the so
1: I was like, oh. thing and then start over because oh, that was, it was the summer of panic after getting my contract back and going to all my other author friends, going, "What do I do now? Do I requery? Is, is anyone's editor looking for this? What do I do?" <laughs> do? I'm well, publishing. I'm glad you
0: did. <laughs> <laughs> I am glad you found another publisher and that it is
1: getting yeah, to be released. Um, so, everybody, one more thing um, for anyone listening there is a pre-order campaign that's also going on all the way through March and depending on how much I have left over I might extend it but you get a bookmark a signed book plate and I'll write whatever you want on it basically as long as it's um kind (laughs) you know what I mean or do a little doogle nothing nothing racist or homophobic or anything like that but I'll write little messages basically if if people would like them on the book plate um bookmark a postcard and there's also a short story in the pre-order it's
0: quite yeah I, I think those caveats go without saying i do i do not tolerate that kind of yeah, stuff around here um, and I, every time there's a new follower on the instagram i always mm-hmm. check i i don't look at every post that they have but i do do a skim to make sure they are not someone who is trying to take advantage of people in the community and all that good jazz and I, I do my best to make sure that my follower list is even a safe space and i have blocked a few people um that, i think it really yeah. shows you know
1: the <laughs> that you do and it's really considerate and i think it's awesome well i haven't even like i don't really even talk
0: about that kind of stuff because i generally because i think it's uh i i worry that it could be a little too like uh performative i do you know, know what you mean it's
1: There's a constant, I think, and this is something authors struggle with, too. There's on social media, you want to not perform, but be like, oh, yes, I'm a decent person. But also you don't want that to take time out of your life where you're actually going out and doing decent things. You know, it's more about the actual work than posting anything. But I totally there's ways, I think, to cultivate a space without being too over the top about it. Very quiet, personal things you can do to keep that sort of safe space.
0: Mm hmm. So, and yes, so thank you so much for being a guest and sharing with us about your book. I, I really enjoyed it personally. And I think a lot of the uh, listeners would as well. Thank you so
1: much. Like I said, I really, I can't say thank you enough. This has been wonderful. I'm really excited. This is one of my sort of first big outreach projects in the Lita community because I've been pretty busy sort of with uh, the young adult book community, but I'm very happy to be here. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to Lace and Cupcakes. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you would rate and review the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find the show on Instagram at Lace and Cupcakes Pod and on Facebook at Lace and Cupcakes Podcast. See you next time.